Welcome back to The Mentors. This is Vadim Revzin. I'm coming to you live from Detroit, Michigan, the Motor City. And I think that actually, given all the activity that I've been seeing here lately, that name might change soon enough. It's not going to be just the Motor City. So I'm here with Jen FKD and the executive director of Jen FKD, Justin Dent. Justin, welcome to the show. Thanks, Vadim. It's good to be here. Uh, so Justin and I are actually really good friends because I'm an entrepreneur in residence at Gen FKD, which stands for Generation Financial Knowledge and Development. So we say. That's what we say. <laughs> and uh, Justin is a perfect guest for the show. As you guys know, in this show, we tell stories about ordinary people that became extraordinary entrepreneurs despite lack of experience, money, or connections. And uh, Justin founded this nonprofit, Gen of KD, uh, while sophomore in college five years ago. They've already raised $7 million to date and have $4 more million committed now. And uh, I want to tell you the story about Justin, how he came to uh, be one of the founders of Gen FKD and now executive director, uh, and what the heck we're doing in Detroit, uh, of all <laughs> places in America. So I guess let's start from the very beginning, Justin, uh, sophomore in college. You know, I was uh, building a website with cats and flash games on it when I was a sophomore in college. <laughs> I think Mark Zuckerberg was doing something yes, similar. <laughs> he was doing something similar um, that had more impact ultimately. Uh, but you ended up starting a nonprofit. So, I did. Uh, first of all, how did you? Why did you want to start a nonprofit? And how did you decide to uh, do one that has to do with entrepreneurship and bridging the gap between sort of college and uh, careers? Yeah. Thanks, Fadim. It's really good to be here. I was very lucky. Uh, I think I was, like so many of the people who are here with us in, in Detroit on this trip, I was a student leader, and I just worked really hard at the college level and saw that uh, my college, despite how great it was uh, and how so many other colleges, just weren't really providing any resources for students in the way of getting prepared for life after college. At the time, that was primarily financial literacy. And there were a lot of students who, like myself, were people of color who, and a lot, had a lot of friends who were first generation and low income, uh, and didn't feel supported by the school. Uh, and so, as a student leader, I saw it as my duty and a responsibility of mine to start programs at the university level that could solve that problem. Uh, and we were very successful, and we just saw a huge demand for the kind of program that we were running. And I was also very fortunate in the sense that I was able to meet somebody who had a large amount of capital and a philanthropy at their disposal who believed in the idea of what I was doing uh, and what we were doing at the time more so than I knew how to. As a 19-year-old, I didn't know what I was doing could be that important or be uh, something that really worked at scale. Uh, and so it was through that individual uh, who was Bernie Marcus, a co-founder of Home Depot, uh, that I was eventually able to sit where I am today. So I'm very curious about this, actually. So did you start the nonprofit uh, before you met Bernie, or was it afterwards? No, we were actually a very rare case. We were a nonprofit after we got a commitment for funding. Mm. Uh, what we were prior to that is we were just a network of students at the college level who were running student organizations and student clubs. And it was very informal. We didn't raise any money. We were very scrappy. We didn't need a lot of money uh, outside of what you could get from a student resources budget. And so we would apply to the student government for a budget and apply for money. Uh, but that was the extent of it. 
And so uh, I'm, I'm very curious. So on the mentors, we like to uh, deconstruct what actually happened in the early days, you know, because I've started many businesses myself with Sergey and when you get an idea, there's something that happens next, right? So what mm. was it for you? I mean, you clearly saw an opportunity to solve a problem, mm-hmm. but what did you do next once you got that idea? What was the very first step or steps? The very first step was to validate the problem. I had been able, been in a position as a student leader to be in a lot of rooms with students and with student organizations such as the Black Student Union at the University of Maryland where I was able to hear these conversations and know that this was a real need. Uh, And so my next step after thinking that was to speak to more students and to really speak to as many students from as many different backgrounds as I possibly could. I was lucky in the sense that at the time I was at the University of Maryland, the the director of student groups, um, which gave me access to about 826 student organizations at the time. Oh, wow. Yeah, it was quite a large school, uh, and we had a very active student body. And so I had the ability to kind of survey and contact them at my, at my will. Uh, and so I spoke to them, and I spoke to them as leaders who had access to a lot of other students and who knew what other students were going through. Um, and I think for us, that's why to this day the peer-to-peer element of what we do is so important and so critical because we know that student, there are people on campus and people in any community uh, who are really the linchpins and really holders of knowledge about more people. And, uh, you know, whereas I could have gone and stood on McKilden Library at the University of Maryland and asked every single person who walked by what their situation was, mm. uh, I found it more effective to go through the people that I knew were collectors of knowledge and holders of knowledge um, and could speak on behalf of others. Interesting. So you clearly started by validating the problem. And I guess, how long did that validation process last until you started putting together a solution? Uh, Probably about two days. Really? Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. You know, and this is the good thing about collegiate entrepreneurship, right, is that there is no risk. uh, And you, particularly when I, in my position, um, there was no need for me to expend any personal capital. Again, a very fortunate position to be in, but uh, as somebody who was a leader in student government, I could immediately book a room and hold an event with uh, a financial literacy expert or somebody who could uh, consult or advise on student debt and see how many people showed up. Hmm. And our first few events had more people than the rooms that we booked could hold because we put 10 chairs in the room. Uh, But because I had done so much outreach to student leaders, uh, there was many more than 10, than 10 people in the room. Wow. Now, to kind of pick apart your background a little bit more, you were a student uh, leader at the time. Were you in student government associations in high school as well? Kind of what mm. made you even do that in the mm. first place and gave you interest? You know, interestingly enough, I was never in student government prior to college, even though it was something that was I was always around. Uh, in high school, I was the editor-in-chief of the newspaper. Uh, I was very involved in an organization called Junior Statesman of America. I was uh, in Junior Statesman of America. Were you really? Yeah. Get out. I used to go that to D.C. every single year. So you were part of what? The Massachusetts... Um, Westboro High School chapter. You were Westboro... I'm trying to remember the name of your region, but it's the Mid-Atlantic. No, I... Were you Mid-Atlantic? No, you were the Northeast region. Um, 
But yeah, so I was in JSA. Wow. Uh, and I was at one point the mayor of the South Atlantic region. I've known Justin for about a year now, and we've never actually... Yeah. Uh, I'm a couple years older than you, so right. we never overlap. We never but, overlap. Okay. But believe it or not, people, JSA alumni do not necessarily always talk about their JSA experiences. Well. Yeah. But now we do. Dark days. <laughs> yeah. No, they were bright. Hey, I had my first kiss with a JSA girl. <laughs> uh, so I, I look at the experience You were very bright. In high school, when you get to go to yeah. a hotel for the first time, yeah, uh, I mean it's, it's a very <laughs> magical experience. I mean, I mean, hundreds of high school students from across the country who yeah. get together to debate public policy and. Well, we were actually the first uh, group. JSA was the first group allowed in the Capitol building on the floor um, after 9/11. Really, first group. Yeah, well, that's a fitting. It's a fitting choice. So, meaning they had really a lot of reach. Right. There's uh, a lot of clout. Yeah. There are a lot of elected officials who were former JSA. Terry McAuliffe members. was uh, uh-huh. uh, was actually. Involved yeah. as well. I remember he gave a talk. Wow. Okay. So you were in JSA. You were doing the debates. <laughs> I was doing the debates. I was uh, doing the student leader thing in, in different hats that weren't student government. I was uh, a rebel in some ways in the sense that a, I had been elected to student government, but the school that I was at at the time decided that I shouldn't be on student government. Why? Uh, mm, I don't know. That okay. it was it was a, it was a it was a point of contention amongst many. Interesting. Uh, but the very it's very funny because this was going on in 2008 at the time that Hillary Clinton was going through appeals in Pennsylvania and Florida over uh, essentially the petitions that she submitted late. The school, right as this conversation was going on, said that I submitted my petitions five minutes too late, wow. and because I had submitted them for five five minutes too late. I wasn't qualified. Neither here nor there. Right. I ended up leaving that high school my sophomore year and moving down to D.C. actually to work on Capitol Hill. In high school? In high school. What so, were you doing? Uh, I was an intern for a, a congressman from Arkansas by the name of Mike Ross, hmm. uh, who was a blue dog Democrat when those still existed, which are fiscally conservative Democrats. Um, and it was, I moved down there uh, in the summer after doing a JSA summer program at Stanford. Mm. And loved it and ended up being offered, because my dad lived in D.C., I was able to do this. But the chief of staff said, you know, Justin, we've really loved having you. Uh, We know your dad lives down here. If it would ever be something that you're interested in, since this is something that you've said you wanted to pursue, we'd love to give you a year-round position. Uh, And so I did that. Now, hold on a second. Now, you were going to high school in D.C. at this time. So, yeah, so my, I went to school in uh, New Jersey, mm-hmm. even though I was living in New York, uh, my freshman and sophomore year, and then I moved to D.C. my junior year. How'd you balance high school with having a year-round job? This is where the dichotomy between private schools and public schools becomes very clear. I, the first two years at my prep school, which was a private prep school, were so sufficient and beyond what my public school's expectations were and the tests that I had to take to get into certain classes uh, that I only needed to take about half of a day schedule. Wow. Yeah. So I, and we had what was called A day, B day scheduling. So every other day I would go to classes and then every other day I would go to work on Capitol Hill. 
Wow, that's actually really cool. I didn't know any of this about you. Yeah, we need to hang out more. Yeah. Uh, you can come over anytime you want. <laughs> Thanks for the invite. He's just saying that because we're live in the air. Uh, all right, so... He's not wrong. <laughs> I understand now your story a little bit better. Uh, you got some hands-on experience working on Capitol Hill mm-hmm. uh, in high school. So mm-hmm. if you're interested in getting real-world experience, you can do it in high school. Don't let anybody stop you. You do have to take initiative. Apparently, you have to be a rebel like Justin was. Uh, and then you... Was, still am. Still am. He, well, yeah. We won't tell the, the, the <laughs> secret stories here. Maybe in the follow-up episode. Uh, and then in college, you got involved with student government. You then uh, felt motivated to start a, a program which was somewhat informal. Now, when you were building uh, what would become Gen FKD, was this primarily focused on your campus, or did you start working across other campuses? It was focused uh, exclusively on my campus when we first started. And told some other friends about it who also tried to start doing the same thing. Uh, and that's when it became clear that a networked approach was necessary and that it wasn't something that would really work without some solid foundation. That even though there would be a lot of separate interests on each campus, that having a network that facilitated that process and facilitated the foundation of that education would be extremely beneficial. Now, what did your solution look like at this point when you had this sort of realization that it would work better as a network? When it when I realized it would work better as a network, I didn't really have a solution at the time because I didn't have really the, the thought that I would be able to create a network or that that was something that was going to be, to be quite honest, a valuable and useful uh, use of my time. Uh, I was a sophomore in the midst of my sophomore year um, and it, so while I was still doing it at the campus level, I had my sights other, elsewhere. You know, I thought that I would graduate and be working in agricultural and economic development in West Africa. Wow. Uh, and so this, and you know, in the midst of everything else I was doing on campus, was a priority, but it wasn't necessarily number one. So when did it become a priority? I was very fortunate in that through an internship I had in college, I met uh, a man by the name of Bernie Marcus, who was a co-founder of Home Depot. Uh, Bernie was generous enough to take time to sit down with me after meeting him uh, and sitting down with my friend Jesse at the time, who later would become my co-founder. And so just to take a step back, how did you guys actually meet? So I worked for a consulting firm, a very small consulting firm, uh, from whom we still rent office space today, uh, where Bernie was a client. And because one of his... uh, handlers or one of his, somebody who worked for his philanthropy, uh, had worked with the consulting firm before. They came in, they met me, we had a wonderful conversation. They said, I would really like for you to meet Bernie. And because they knew what I was working on, because they had taken, again, the time to get to know me and, you know, ask what I was passionate about. At that time, I was really grappling with what do I do with this thing that I've started on campus and that isn't getting the response from the administration that I'd like or is not getting enough resources uh, in order to really scale. Uh, And Steve said, you know, you're clearly a very passionate individual and I think you should talk to Bernie. I'm sure he would love to talk to you and talk about what you're going through. And at this point, I I had no idea that Steve was doing this because he thought Bernie would give me money. Oh, wow. Uh, But it was really just, this is a great opportunity for you to meet somebody who can be a mentor for you uh, or in, you know, 30 minutes or an hour, however long he'll make time for you, give you some really great advice. And that ended up turning into a mentorship that's lasted to this day. 
wow. and support for Gen FKD that came out of that that initial meeting. That's incredible. Which goes to show, by the way, that you have to get out there. You have to, you know, whether it's getting internships, getting involved somehow at the university level, even when you're in college, uh, because you never know who you're going to sort of bounce up against and what impact they might have on your life. You clearly could not have anticipated this. I mean, absolutely. And I think that's been the reoccurring theme in our business today, which is every single opportunity that has been a key decision point or a key point of evolution for the organization has come out of just talking to people and just really not necessarily expecting anything out of people, um, but coming into it with very honest and genuine uh, presence and just being yourself, right? It's Today we're at the point where, and how I got to meet you, was running this course at SUNY. I met the, the person, the decision maker at SUNY Purchase, where we now run our entrepreneurship course, simply because I was having a conversation with her at a dinner. I didn't know that what would come out of that dinner. I don't think she did either. But we were two individuals who just decided to make the time to talk to each other and communicate about challenges, frankly, that we were having in our work. Her challenge was that she wasn't able to facilitate, truthfully, an entrepreneurship course. Our difficulty was, was that we had developed this great program or the foundation of a program, but we're having difficulty from universities in adopting it. And then here we are today. And for those of you that are listening to The Mentors for the first time, I met Justin uh, soon after one of my startups failed and I was running product at another startup that was uh, actually building a blockchain solution. And I had done some teaching in the past, but I wanted to get more into teaching and I have a passion in entrepreneurship, uh, both Sergey and I do. And Justin was looking for somebody that was a practitioner, right? Somebody that's done it before failed, maybe had some successes as well. And uh, I was fortunate enough, and I still feel really lucky to be part of GenFKD, but also have the opportunity to teach at SUNY Purchase because they really allow us to make this course what we feel it should be, which is effectively learning how to be an entrepreneur by actually working at it, not just studying theory, which doesn't work. (laughs) (laughs) No, definitely doesn't work. Okay, so to keep on the theme of entrepreneurship, right, uh, when you're building a business or a nonprofit, clearly money is important. So you meet this incredible gentleman who becomes a mentor uh, for for you, uh, obviously, and is now until this day. Uh, But at one point, and clearly you sort of uh, communicated the value of what you were trying to create and you were passionate and he could tell I could trust this guy, even though he's 19 years old. At what point did he write the check? Uh, A few weeks after I met him. Wow. Yeah. Can you disclose the amount? It was for a quarter of a million dollars. Got it. So if I remember correctly. It was, yeah, it was, a, it was a substantive amount for a 19-year-old. Yes. But it, yeah, I believe it was a quarter of a million dollars. Now, you're 19 years old, quarter of a million dollars in the bank. I'm assuming not your bank account. <laughs> not my bank account. Would be uh, nice. But. How did you know what to do with that money? I was, again, you know, I was very fortunate and lucky in that I had a support infrastructure around me. Um, The consulting firm that I had interned for that was the reason I met Bernie um, had a comptroller, right, who had done this before and knew how to set up a nonprofit bank account at Citibank and knew all of the, the processes. And, you know, because Bernie has a foundation that does amazing work all across the country and the world they also have a knowledge sharing function 
where the process for establishing and filing my paperwork was extremely straightforward um, because they had people who could walk me through the process. And that was a critical function and a critical reason that I'm able to be here today um, because I think that even though I w could have figured it out, I don't think I would have done it in the right structural way um, just because these things can be complicated that would have really set the foundation for our success. And to be able to have a network that was able to offer me financial advice, legal advice from the get-go, I think just really goes to show the importance of having strong networks and ecosystems in place that are able to provide these kind of functions. And I think having that experience as a social entrepreneur where my lift and my work was purely was allowed to be mostly on the social impact side of what I was doing and on the program development because I had people around me who could support me on the legal functions and the financial functions and um, you know really core operational functions that's where I see Gen FKD going today in a lot of ways which is ensuring that other entrepreneurs and people who don't even know that they are entrepreneurs yet have that kind of support and have that kind of guidance because I don't think that is possible otherwise. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And, you know, just because you don't know how to do something doesn't mean you shouldn't do it. Uh, you can find people that can help you out. Obviously, you were fortunate to, uh, to be able to grow your network at this point, uh, and they will point you in the right direction and hopefully help you succeed. You cannot do anything in a vacuum, and you can't do anything substantive alone. Absolutely not. I, I think, you know, something that I've also realized through this work and through the work that a lot of our students still do on campus to this day is that an ask can be very, very impactful and that you should never be afraid to ask somebody new something and that the even in New York City, right, supposedly the busiest of all cities, people will make time for you if your ask is clear, if it's direct, and they know why you're asking them and not their colleague or somebody else. So give us a quick overview then of what you've been able to accomplish over the last five years, what JNFKD has uh, become uh, and I guess where you think it's going next? I know it's a big question. We have come from a place where as a 19-year-old and five years ago, we were at very few schools and still trying to figure out how to do what we claimed we were doing in a very authentic way. And that meant how do we measure and develop programs that are meant to improve people's financial outcomes after graduation. We have gotten to a point today where we have gone from just one school to now being at 34 schools and to having student leaders and a leadership network at 34 schools um, that serves approximately 18,000 people every semester. Uh, wow. And that is something that is extremely meaningful and, you know, and very challenging even for me sometimes to see because it's grown beyond what I could have expected it to. Uh, and we are now at a point where we are not just financial literacy and not just financial education because having that network in place and having that the constant communication channels with our campuses and the, and the students that we work with today has allowed us to see that we can leverage that network for so much more and that involves teaching skills that are not just financial, and they include financial, but it's really the entire pathway from college to career and your just life after graduation because that's not something that is really embedded at the core of modern education. 
Um, and it's something that we think it is, and that is based on the fact that we have spoken to so many students as they're going through this process and after they've graduated and realized that WTF moment. We've all had that. I still do yeah. on a weekly basis. <laughs> so uh, Gen FKD is an incredible organization. Uh, you guys created a fellowship program. How many fellows are in the program 34. now? 34. And uh, I guess let's, let's tell the audience why we're in Detroit. We're both based in New York. And, uh, you know, if, a few months ago you said, Vadim, you're flying out to Detroit uh, in the beginning of August. So uh, why are we here? We are here for our annual fellows retreat. Hex, yes. And we have a live studio audience of our fellows. <laughs> and we'll take questions from the audience in a minute. <laughs> yeah, so every year we, we, um, we choose a location that has some significance to the organization and bring our fellows there to go over a weekend of training, professional development, education, so on and so forth, uh, that better prepare them to do their jobs on campus, but um, really kind of try to put them in a position where they feel purposeful and empowered to make their own change on campus. As somebody who came into this as a student leader, uh, who was looking for a network to create change, we really see ourselves as a facilitator for the change that each individual on campus can bring. So we very much try not to be top-down, um, but we see this weekend and this retreat as a way that we can be bottom up by giving fellows the right means and channels of communication uh, and the right s- tools, really, um, to go off and experiment on their own on campus. And prior to this, we were also fortunate enough to host what we called the Social Impact Summit in Detroit, um, which was looking at really you know, the massive amounts of urban revitalization and development that are un- on- undergone Uh, in Detroit in the past five years and that was very impactful and it allowed us to play a part in a conversation about the role of entrepreneurship in the redevelopment of Detroit. Yeah, I mean, even in my Uber ride from the airport, the driver was saying how different uh, the city is now. Even the last two years, he said, uh, it's changed a lot. A lot of new businesses, uh, mm-hmm. things happening all the time. It's a lot more <laughs> exciting even mm-hmm. than five years ago. And I think, I guess, more people are moving here now, too, because there's more opportunities. Yeah, absolutely. Very cool. Well, now let's uh, see if there's any questions from the audience. My name is Nicole Glassford. I attend the University of South Florida. And my question for Justin is, what did you do whenever a challenge arose when you were developing the program GenFKD? That's a very good question. And a lot of challenges arose as I was developing the program. A lot of challenges arrive every day (laughs) to this day. I reflect a lot. So I take as a leader and as a entrepreneur, my biggest way of coping is taking time away from the situation and really trying to silence myself and silence a lot of the thoughts. I have a personal practice of meditation, and I had elements of that when I was in school and undergoing this process. And it's very important for me to take space and to not embed myself in the problem because I think that that can create a very chaotic mind frame and that creates a reactionary mind frame. And I think that being able to step back allows you to think more strategically and not necessarily see yourself at the center of everything. And so that's, that's how I address those challenges and how I still address challenges today. Any other questions from our audience? Hi, my name is Rosalind Misgorski, and I'm from Temple University, and I was wondering, what's next for Gen FKD? 
Great question. There are no easy questions on this podcast, apparently. Um, what's next for Gen FKD? I think that we are now in a position where we have seen that the network that we've created is very powerful in its ability to both create communities, but also change the communities that they're in. And we are now looking at how can we leverage that network that we have to create the most impact. For example, we are working on a program at Colorado State now where we have the ability to work with their key communities program, which is their program uh, that is exclusively for first-generation low-income and minority students. And they have tapped us, based on our experience and our network, to come in, assess and analyze their program and figure out how can we give their students the most agency. What's interesting about that question from Colorado State is that they are in a part of Colorado that is incredibly non-diverse. And so when we are tasked with the job of giving students agency, we have to then figure out how can we take very diverse students into a non-diverse community while still giving them the tools and resources to see change that they can create. So Gen FKD is in a place where we are really trying to use the campuses that we have networks on to be ecosystem builders in the communities that those colleges and campuses exist as a way of giving students more opportunity to build businesses, to develop meaningful relationships, to work within and for corporations that are in and around the state. Uh, and in the long term, right, we really see ourselves providing that critical function to universities and to colleges and to communities about improving the pathway from education to workforce because nobody knows what work is going to look like in 10 years, let alone five years. And so we've seen that given the resources that we have and the conversations we have on a daily basis, we know trends, right? And we know where certain parts of this equation are going. And so we just want to play our part and do better at knowledge sharing and developing programs that we think can make that change and really prepare students for what work might look like. And we will keep continuously developing and measuring programs that do that. And I'm looking forward to staying a part of that uh, with you. Uh, if you're interested in learning more about Gen FKD, they do have a lot of amazing resources on genfkd.org. And you can always get in touch with me as well. This is our nonprofit episode, our first yeah, one. So. Our first one. Yes. Well, thanks for making me the inaugural. You're the man. I love you. I love you too. Thank you. He's just saying that, but he does, I, I guess. I mean it too. <laughs> We're actually going to go bowling after this, right? We are. I have to go up to my room and get socks because I didn't bring any. I'm going barefoot because I like Ew. to take risks. What? Entrepreneurs are risk takers. Yeah, uh, but not for athletes' foot. True. Calculated risks. That's right. right. Absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks a lot for coming on the show, Justin. I appreciate you. Anytime, Vadim. <laughs>